Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. I hope you're doing well. It's the day after Labor Day here in the States, so you know what that means. You have to put away your white lab coats, but it is time to bust out the navy, the heather, or even the pumpkin spice, if that's your thing. Before we start, there are a few events coming up, one of them very soon. Arsenal Advisors is holding the Medicine to Market Summit brand breakthroughs this Thursday, September 9th and Friday. If you're in biopharma and marketing to providers, this will be valuable for you. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then on September 29th at 10 a.m. Eastern, I'll be on a panel for a webinar hosted by Azo Networks on marketing to laboratory professionals. So I'll put a link for that in the show notes as well. Now let's dive into my conversation with Justine Dees. All right, Justine Dees is a science writer, content marketer, and the founder of The Joyful Microbe, which is both a blog and now also a podcast. Justine, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you, Chris, for having me. This is great. So today we're going to talk about scientific writing in the context of content marketing, which is your specialty. The ability, I think a lot of scientists, I hope they appreciate this, that to write well is a valuable skill. And so they should either get good at it or find someone like you who's good at it and can help them out. So how did you go from being a scientist to a science writer? So I, I started out and I have a PhD in microbiology and did not have any clue that <laughs> at the time when I was working on it, that's what I would end up doing, that I would go into science writing. At the time, I really thought I would just be a researcher, and um, and that was my career path in mind. And I went into a postdoc in microbiology. But during that time, we, my husband and I realized that path wasn't going to work super well with what he does. So <laughs> my husband is an agricultural pilot, and um, most people know that as crop dusting. And so that moves us around a good bit and takes us to places where there's sometimes not universities around or jobs in microbiology. And I wanted to do something with my degree, of course, but I was like, what in the world can I do with this PhD? And um, in these sorts of places that and, and moving around constantly. So I remember being in the car with my husband and him saying, is there anything you can do working from home as a scientist, like with a PhD? And I was like, I don't know. I really had never thought about it before. So <laughs> I Googled science PhD remote jobs and medical writing came up. So that was like how I realized, wow, people with PhDs have jobs writing and it's really valuable to have a PhD and to be able to write about science for companies. And so I originally thought, okay, medical writing is cool. I think I could probably learn how to do that. And um, I read the book Freelance Medical Writing by Emma Hitt Nichols and that kind of inspired me to 
in the book, she really goes through like making the decision between whether you want to work for a company or if you want to do freelance and everything she described about freelancing, I thought, oh, that sounds awesome. I would love to have that flexibility and um, working from home, of course. But then I, I her book recommended other books, so that led to lots more reading. And I learned about copywriting and content marketing. And then I realized there's science content marketing. <laughs> and I think that it's really valuable to have these educational materials that life science companies put out there for scientists. And so I enjoy writing that type of stuff. But yeah, it's like you don't learn about writing as a scientist in the same way that you use it as a content marketer or a copywriter. And so in academia, you write in a really different sort of way. And I realized I'm going to have to really develop this skill. And so I self-educated in the craft of writing and science communication and then learned about marketing and copywriting, content marketing and business and sales, too. So (laughs) I read a lot of books. But on top of writing books, I wanted to put it into practice. And so that's why I started the Joyful Microbe. And that's my blog and now podcast, as you said. I knew that if I was going to write about something in practice, like I'm going to want to write about something I love. And of course, I love microbiology. (laughs) It gave me a place to practice all of these things that I was learning about in these books and try them out for myself. And I continue to do that now and I'll learn about something new and then I can go and try it out on the blog and try it out with email marketing or social media marketing on all that stuff. I can try it out on the blog first and then have that skill developed for my client work. And so that that was really it's a great kind of playground for me. But then also it's a way to market myself and show off my skills as an expert in microbiology and in writing. So I now work with life science companies and a lot of them are the ones that sell products to scientists. And um, so I love that because I was, you know, a scientist in a lab buying those products at one time. And so I know how they think because that was me. Yeah, that's that is the advantage, not just understanding the science, but understanding the audience. Like, how would a scientist look at this product and say, this works for me or not, or it's, it solves a problem that scientists have. I think that's fantastic. The other thing I like that you mentioned there is about testing things out on your blog and in email marketing. The essence of content marketing, there's a lot of testing that goes on, whether it's formal analytics or just saying, let's write about a certain thing or in a certain way and see what kind of reaction we get. And that's hugely valuable. I think people underestimate the value of testing like that in the sense of it's not a huge risk. You're going to put something out there. No one's going to say, I never want to hear from them again. It's unlikely. If you do that, then you're, you've got a ways to go. But the other thing I want to ask is, do you miss the lab? I have to ask. You sound pretty happy about it now. I did at first. And the blog actually helped me with the aspects that I missed about it. So on the blog, I actually write about microbiology activities like at home microbiology. So things like fermentation, making a sourdough starter, making kombucha and things like that. And I even have a microscope now and I um, wrote about that and So it's I've been able to take the skills that I had in the lab and I don't do all the things I used to do, but I can still do sciencey things at home. And that helped a lot with missing those playing around in the lab. 
I was going to save this for the end, but I'm going to ask you now, what is a Winogradsky column? Oh, Winogradsky column is an ecosystem and um, of microbes. And so you take, you go outside and you can just grab some mud and some water and then you add in a little bit of paper, that's a carbon source, and an egg yolk, and that's a sulfur source. So you're creating a place for microbes to grow. But you do this in a glass jar, <laughs> and over the course of a couple of months or so, and sometimes it takes longer, they develop all these different colors because each color kind of represents different types of microbes. So they're really beautiful. They turn out like red and green and... Um, just these really vibrant colors and each one is pretty unique according to what kind of mud you collect and what microbes are in there because what you're doing is you're selecting for the ones that grow in that environment but they're already there in the mud right that's pretty cool that's not exactly at all what i imagined but it sounds very cool so i have to ask before i try this my wife will want to know what does it smell like so i've heard from people that it can smell bad i kept mine outside they can make that rotten egg smell. <laughs> so, so you want to be aware of that. But yeah, I, I, I kept mine outside. So I don't really, I didn't go and get close enough to smell it. But I think there are times when they can be stinky, depending on what you've got growing in there. <laughs> that is the most science we've ever talked about on Life Science Marketing Radio. <laughs> so we're going to go back to marketing now. <laughs> so why does a typical client hire someone like you? What are they looking for? So clients often are looking for someone who has a background in science but doesn't overcomplicate things. They they want them the writer to understand their products and their customers. But then a lot of times if you hire a scientist and they haven't honed the skill of writing and, and writing simply, because in academia you write very complex and with jargon and technical terms that, you know, other scientists in your field understand. So I love that I can take these concepts, break them down in a simple way, but then make sure that they're accurate too. So that's what I think whenever clients want to hire me, they're looking for someone who has the background, but then can also communicate well on it. So for career purposes, for people who are listening and thinking about their careers, and then also for people who think about hiring writers or about how they should write, do you find that it's valuable or more valuable sometimes to not be too connected to the specific topic? So as a scientist, what I find I think is, is some of my value when I'm helping people out is that I know enough science to ask the right questions, but I don't know so much about a lot of things that I'm going to go way deep and get into the weeds. Do you find the same thing? I think that can be helpful. I think if you're not in that position and you do know a lot about it, you have to be pretty mindful and able to reflect on what does it feel like to not understand this and to take a step back because there are a lot of instances where if you do, I understand something and I know it and I know the technical terms, I have to remember if I were to explain this to a friend, how was I, how would I tell them about it? So I think, yeah, just being mindful of it and very reflective in writing and, and then just paying attention to what are the scientific terms, making sure that those are not going to be ones that are not broadly known. One of the things I found is that, of course, when you're deep into a particular kind of science, 
you tend to assume that everybody else knows what you're talking about. And one of the things that's important in marketing is to find people that should be using your technology or whatever you have that aren't yet using it. So they don't, they're not quite, they might be aware of your sort of methodology or applications, whatever it is, but they don't know the details. And I think people tend to, scientists who are writing inside a company sometimes tend to assume they already know and that they're already, they're just looking for the best one of these things when in fact they don't even know what the spectrum of those things are. What are the possibilities? Yeah, yeah. Do you have do you have a particular method you use for writing? How do you work with clients if you're writing marketing materials? When I work with clients, it starts with a creative brief that I send over to them and that gives me an idea of what their needs are, who their audience is, what their goals are for the piece and what type of content they're looking for. And so after we work on that and they send that back to me, then that gives me an idea of what we're doing and what the goals are. And then I take that and I have these outlines ready to go for if it's an article or a blog post, I can go through this method that I have ready to go for me. And they're just basically, for me, like writing templates. And I have pre-writing that I do. And that includes like doing keyword research for SEO and looking for specific data points or research that I want to include, just like the hard facts that I want to make sure are there and examples and things that people can relate to. I think that's really important is making sure that any piece it's like what is in it, what's in it for the customer. So making sure that there is something in there that if it's really this high level scientific concept, like really what does it matter to anybody? Yeah, so after that, then got all the research done and write the piece and work with the client on just making sure that it looks good and go through the editing process with them. Nice. It's It probably sounds, it's way more efficient than I would probably do it. So <laughs> I like that. Um, let's talk about content marketing as you use it for your own business and what, companies or other writers can learn from that so interestingly your blog is separate from your actual business website and a different audience your blog is more science or general public oriented as opposed to your business website where you're of course trying to reach life science companies how does your blog work for you what benefit do you get out of it what benefit do potential customers or anyone get out of it yeah, so I mentioned early on that was my kind of place where I learned a lot um, at, from the beginning, learning how to put this stuff all into practice. But then now it's my testing ground. And But what's neat is that a lot of people that follow my blog have an interest in science or they are scientists. A lot of them are scientists. And so it's kind of neat that a portion of my audience is also overlaps with my client's audience. But also it's... It shows my expertise in microbiology, but it gives me a way to show that and write those articles that I'm interested in and I enjoy writing. But then I put that stuff out on LinkedIn and then my potential clients will see it and connect with me and um, want to work with me because they see the way that I write and the types of topics that I'm covering. So yeah, it gives me, first of all, just a place to try things out and and continue to practice writing along with also 
just having the, the ability to market myself as a microbiology expert. Yeah, it's nice to be able to show people what you can do without having to show them, for example, even other clients' work, which sometimes can be difficult or even not allowed. Like some clients yeah. will just say, <laughs> don't even tell people you're working with us, let alone show yeah. them what you did for us. Yes, and um, I've had that before. So it's it's nice to have this continuing portfolio that really shows the my personality too. I think people can get to know me th from that blog a little bit better than if I wrote even about content marketing. It gives them a chance to see this is a person, like who she is really, because that's me. Right. Like whenever I write on the blog, it's like it's very much me and encapsulates my personality in a lot of ways. So that, that gives clients a chance to get to know me a lot better, I think. Let's talk about that personalization. That's a great little segue. You and I had a conversation before we talked about personalized emails and meaning not just one sent with your name at the top, but signed by someone. So as an example, you might receive an email from some list that you're on. And instead of coming from the company, it comes from a name inside that company or even a customer support email. What difference does that make? I think it it helps people feel like you care about them a lot more. You believe them a little bit more too. When you've got this big company emailing you, you don't know who that person is and you don't know anything about them and what they do in the company. They just it just came from bigcompany.com and so it's it's really nice to see especially if it's someone who you feel like you can relate to so if the email is signed by if it's a life science company sending out an email to scientists it would be neat if the person in the company that wrote the email and maybe wrote the article that they're promoting in the email was a scientist and could sign PhD or whatever and just show I'm like you and we can even talk to each other because I just sent you an email. And so it's instead of having this big company where you're like, who, who is this and what do they want from me? You have this person who it's like, oh, what do they have for me today? And I've, an example of this, a personal example I have is my email software that I use, um, my email service provider that I use for the blog is called MailerLite. And when I first signed up for it, they went through this nurture email sequence where they sent out all these really great articles that were really helpful. And they were signed by individuals from the company and the people who wrote the articles were the people who sent the email. And it was a different person. It wasn't always the same exact person that sent the email. So you would have Ashley at MailerLite and she would send the email and say, hey, I wrote this post and it's all about this and it's going to help you a lot with getting started. And I thought that was really, really good. <laughs> I was impressed by that. And I thought I, I think life science companies could do stuff like that and personalize the emails with an individual or just several different individuals from time to time signing the emails and then letting people know like we care about you and we're people at the company and it doesn't have to be like you have this one person that sends these emails because that person might not be there in a couple like a couple of months but that's why it can just be a few different people but just having a person and another thing they did that I loved was they had a picture of the person in the signature so it was like not just a name 
but a photo of the person. So you're like, this is a real person. <laughs> like that person emailed me. Right. Not company. It makes a, a, a huge difference. Even if you're never going to speak to that person, reply to them, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you feel... Again, with someone like you could reach out to that person. And with customer support, sometimes you get an email from one person, you reply back, a different person replies, but you still feel like there's a human being on the other end that's looking at your message. And yeah. I, I think companies might feel it's a risk to put people's name or maybe there are other concerns I'm not even thinking about. But I sure. do think there can be huge value in doing that and maybe your employees would feel better about it as well too because they they put the work into writing something they would like to be known for having done that and feel like they're meeting people in their industry I, i would think many scientists who would write a blog post for example would want their name on it and the email that promoted it yeah yeah i think so i think it makes it, yeah, from the person writing the email, you feel like excited to share it and you put your name on it. And then from the person receiving it, you feel like this company actually is invested in helping me. It's interesting if you think about it, the difference between digital and real life, because sometimes companies worry about what someone might say or... Um, I'm trying to formulate this, but the reality is your salespeople are talking to people face to face and no one's editing what they say. And obviously they have a skill and they bring in money. We give them maybe a little bit longer leash or we let people go out and talk at symposia or seminars. And some of those things are uh, reviewed in advance. A presentation might be, but certainly those people are also talking to people outside of that formal presentation and there's no limitation on that obviously they have to use good judgment so why is it that when they're sending an email which can certainly be reviewed in advance wouldn't we let them put their name on it just get that so yeah i'm big on yeah that's true and i think in, in sales, that is where they get to connect and really directly connect with the customer. But why can't you do that with the content marketing as well and email marketing and social media marketing? Yeah. So what do you do Try. What do you do to specifically try to connect with your readers? Do you mean connect with them? Like how do I, with my content that I write? Or do you mean connect with them, talk to them? With your content. Okay, with my content. Yeah, so I I try to make everything that I write relatable and with with client work and with the blog with Joyful Microbe, I I always try to think of the person the, the person in the audience, who they are and and what is in it for them. In marketing, you always ask what's in it for me. And that's really important with content marketing and writing a a blog post or an article and and just bringing it down to our real lives. Why would I care about this at all? Why would anybody read this? Not just to be educated on something, but how does this actually help someone? And I think that helps people connect to it because then they know, okay, this is actually something that is useful. 
for me and makes sense to me because I can relate to it. And then with Joyful Microbe, that is one of the big reasons why I like to write about it's all about microbes in our daily lives because there's all this research out there that's really cool, but it's very abstract. It's about these high-level ideas, but I like to bring it down to how is a microbe affecting me on a daily basis? Microbes helped make my coffee and they helped make the bread that I love to eat and the beer and wine that I enjoy. So talking about those types of things and, you know, that I enjoy getting to do that, like relating it to our daily lives helps people take this concept of microbes that are invisible and then actually being able to relate that to themselves. Nice. So speaking of relating and all this personalization and making connections that we talked about one of the things that helps make a blog more interesting and keeps people coming back is having a particular style or voice so how did you develop your blogging voice yeah so my blogging voice was something that I did have to work on. It's not like you're just born a great writer with your own voice. I think a lot of times people get hung up and they look at the blank page and kind of are scared of it. But what I did was I just took time to practice it. And I did that in a really specific way. I did this thing where I would write try to write 750 words a day and that came from a website that I came across called 750words.com and I didn't actually use the website so you can sign up for it I just was like I don't really want to post all my thoughts on <laughs> this website but I just started writing a brain dump is what people call it where it's just like all your thoughts from the day and it doesn't matter if they're perfect sentences you don't self-edit along the way and you just write and and that will help you write a little bit more like the way that you speak. And of course, the way that we speak is not perfect. So that's why we edit after the fact. But just being able to write so that you're not writing in this really academic way that we're taught to write in science. And that's what I had to get out of because I came from science. I had a PhD. I was doing a postdoc. Like I needed something to help me just be able to get my thoughts down and the more that I did it, the more that I wrote 750 words a day and it was just random stuff. It would be things that happened in the lab or how things went that day. It was easier and easier. And then I started to be able to like organize my thoughts more quickly and get them down on paper faster and then make it conversational at the same time too. Oh, that's great advice. Great practice. And interesting, when you're taught to write, you are taught to write in a specific way. It doesn't always sound the way we would speak. And even then, maybe your voice is squeezed out of it. So it, it takes some practice to get that back in and find out, all right, where can I not be formal and make it sound like a human being, but also keep it interesting and readable, which is, of course, the reason why we have rules for writing is so that it's not <laughs> hard to plow through the words, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's hard to get out of that tendency to write in that very formal way for science and it tends to be dry because of the how formal it is. But just practicing that of just having your thoughts on the page is so helpful in getting out of that. 
And then also it helps so that you're not self-editing all the time. It speeds up the writing process because you're, you have practiced to not self-edit along the way. So then you're able to just get yeah. stuff on the page and then edit after the fact. So and it has people, two benefits. Yes. And that's why people should hire a writer. Because when you <laughs> stick that blank piece of paper or a screen in front of a scientist whose job is not writing... They will sit there for a long time and think, oh, my gosh, what am I going to put down here? And anything I put down could be seen by anybody at any time, which is not true. Uh, but they feel the need to make it perfect and yeah. they spend too much time or it's not a priority. That's my plug for content marketing and hiring <laughs> writers or anybody else to help with it. Because even if they can write, it's not their priority and they think too hard about it. And it's hard to break out of those rules since you mentioned it. One of the first brochures I tried to write after I left the company, I started a sentence with the word and, which, of course, in school is breaking <laughs> a rule. But in conversation, like I just did, it's a normal thing to do. And it was sent in a scientist, you know, you can't do that. And I think I'm trying to make this. Something that people would actually read. We're not, and <laughs> what is the message here? Not, let's worry about the grammar a little bit later. And that one you shouldn't worry about at all. Anyway, that has <laughs> stuck with me for quite a while, as you can tell. Um, yeah, I love anyway, starting sentences with the word and. <laughs> it, I think it it's definitely, great. It makes it more conversational. I do notice if I'm free writing, like you say, or if I'm writing for a client even, I will look. And if I'm doing it every time, then I'll fix it. But I don't take them all out for sure. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, uh, what else? Tell me, keep going. What are you going to say? <laughs> I just, one more thing on that. It made me think with, because science is complicated, I find that the sentences can be broken up more. So that they're shorter. It's good to vary the length of sentences. But I think that if you have a comma and then it's two separate scientific thoughts, <laughs> it's probably good to split it right down because otherwise you've got too much information in one sentence. So that's where the and, the capital A and <laughs> works really well. Yes, that's well put. And the reason it's a great idea is if you just wrote it's two statements of fact. This is true and that is true. But if you wrote it, even if you broke it and took out the and, you would say, this is true, that is true. That would sound robotic. That's why you say, this thing is true and this other thing is true also. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just more conversational that way. That's the secret sauce of this lesson. No charge. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Not that I'm giving it. You're giving it. We're sharing it with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Justine Dees, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. I hope people start to think about how they do their content marketing and how they can get better writing for anything they're doing. I'm going to put a link to your website, justinedees.com, joyfulmicrobe.com, and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes for the episode. Thanks for joining thank me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. This was really a pleasure. I enjoyed all of the stuff that we talked about. Yeah, me too. Thank you. I say this all the time to people. Your subject matter experts 
probably don't have time to be writing your marketing content. Some of them might be able to. They might be decent writers. But for the most part, they're going to overthink it. They're going to stare at the screen and it just takes too long. And you're probably not going to end up with something that is as good as it could be if you were to hire an outside writer. So definitely think about that. And even if they can write, it will probably take them a lot longer. This weekend, I got a nice message on LinkedIn from someone who had just discovered the podcast, which makes my day, of course, but it also tells me something else, and that is not everybody knows about it yet. So if you haven't told two of your colleagues, or if you have, tell two more, and I will be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. <music>